Leftists are attacking President Trump's defense of Western civilization while defending left-wing Muslim activist Linda Sarser's call for jihad against the president. The leftists say the president's support of the West is racist, but the anti-Semitic terrorist-sympathizing, Sharia-loving Sarser's call for jihad is just her fun, playful, tongue-in-cheek way of demanding the destruction of America through violence. All in all, leftists seem to have developed a general hostility toward the Western values that created them and a strange attraction to the values of the Islamists threatening to kill them. Leftists feel they must destroy biblical religion in order to establish the brotherly love that is the linchpin of biblical religion, and they're attacking America in their demands for a level of multiculturalism that exists only in America. They're using their smartphones, which are the creation of capitalism, to spread the word against capitalism so that we can all be more free by eliminating Western values which elevate freedom. On the other hand, they condemn bigotry against Islamists who are bigoted against everyone who disagrees with them, and they oppose the marginalization of homosexuals whom Islam would put to death. In the name of feminism, they elevate women like Linda Sarser, who believe in Sharia law, which strips women of all their rights. This is the left's way of bringing more multiculturalism to the world by supporting a religion that seeks to destroy every culture but its own. Now you may say, well, hold on just a second here. What are these leftists? Idiots? Or dirtbags? Or idiot dirtbags with the brains of those little insects that look like armadillos and the morals of idiot dirtbag insectile leftists without any morals? Why would leftists oppose all the things that have given them the very values they're fighting for and support a woman who despises every single thing they believe in? Are they some kind of knuckleheads? Or nitwits? Or nincompoops? Or gormless, addle-pated crackpots without the sense God gave a headless chicken? Or like, what? Well, I'm glad you asked. The truth is, leftists hate the West because the West didn't always share the values of the West with everyone in the West, which was against the values of the West. So the left wants to destroy the West, so no one has those values they want everyone to share. Once the left has extended Western tolerance to include Islamists and communists and masked fascists so they can destroy the Western tolerance they want everyone to have, there will be no more Western tolerance for anyone to have, and then everyone will have equality, a Western value that will be destroyed with the West so that no one has equality. Only then, when the left has laid waste to the West, will the perfect utopia of Western values be achieved. This explains why leftists are so angry all the time, because nothing they say makes any sense. It's frustrating for them. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-dee. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. Hooray, hooray, it's mailbag day. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. All your questions answered, all the answers guaranteed correct, and they will change your life. 
on occasion, for the better. Sometimes it's just a disaster. <laughs> we'll just get into that. But first, we have to talk about Blue Apron, which brings restaurant-level meals to your home. It's the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country, and it deserves to be. This stuff is so good. What they do is they send you these fresh ingredients all measured out, and they give you incredibly simple instructions. And you get together in the kitchen with your family, cook these up, follow the instructions, cook them up, you get a meal seriously. It is not like a home-cooked meal. It is a home-cooked meal, but it is also a restaurant-level meal. And it's not that expensive. It's about 10 bucks uh, for each person per meal. It has. They've established partnerships with over 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. And as a result, the seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. Beef, chicken, and pork come from responsibly raised animals. Products is sourced from Farms that practice regenerative farming. And because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, they're reducing food waste, which also is good for you because you're not stuck with a lot of uh, you know, materials that you can't use. Here are a couple of things they got on their upcoming meals. They got this incredible array, and it changes all the time. Incredible array of menus and meals. They have now seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet peppers. I know you were going to make that anyway, but this is something that really, it really does elevate the kind of food you're eating. Creamy shrimp rolls with quick pickles and sweet potato wedges. Fresh basil fettuccine pasta with sweet corn and cubanelle pepper. Is that how you pronounce that? Cubanelle pepper? I'm not sure. Chili butter steaks with parmesan potatoes and spinach. You can hear just from the way it sounds that you are going to be getting incredible meals right there in your home. You can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Andrew. I don't know why I have to, you know, sell this stuff to you when I'm offering you free food. I mean, what Like, how low is, who is my audience? Who is my audience that I'm not going after the free food? You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. Don't wait. Go to blueapron.com slash Andrew. It's a better way to cook and a better way to eat as well. Good stuff. So, does anybody remember remember Cindy Sheehan? No. Just blank faces. I'm talking about this guy. This blank face. Cindy Sheehan. Do you remember? You don't remember. No. Today, I'm not even sure you were alive in 2005. <laughs> it was like Cindy Sheehan, 2005, the summer of 2005. And this was the big story. Cindy Sheehan had tragically lost a son in the Iraq War, and she decided, and she went a little nuts really, but she decided she was going to go out and protest where George W. Bush was summering in his, at his ranch. This was an enormous story. Maureen Dowd wrote a piece saying, well, if you have lost a child, then your moral authority is absolute. I mean, think about that for a minute. Her moral authority, Cindy Sheehan's moral authority was absolute. This thing was so big. I mean, it, it was every newscast, every day, the lead story. And you were sitting there going, so it was a couple of people. It was like, you know, maybe 100 people, I don't know, parked outside. Big peace movement. When George W. Bush left out, first of all, the summer ended and nobody paid attention to it. Because that's the thing. The summer is the silly season. The summer is when you know, there's not a lot of news. Legislators go home and all this stuff. So nothing's really going on. So they just cover whatever will hurt Republicans. It's not that they cover any silly story. They cover any silly story they think will hurt Republicans, right? So the city's your big deal. When George W. Bush left office and Obama came in, she went after Obama. She went after Obama. She said he was a worse war criminal than George W. Bush, or at least as bad, she said. Nowhere. Vanished. 
she, she, suddenly her absolute moral authority disappeared. So all I'm saying is, you're, all you're hearing is the, the Russians, but the Russians are coming. We should have started with that. Where is the Russians are coming? Yeah. <laughs> we could do the whole show just playing that over and over and over again. You know, this is so. This is what you're hearing. You're Donald Trump went to the meeting and he had, and now it's treason and it's collusion and all this stuff. Well, I'll try and get to this. It's you know, I don't want to say it's a nothing burger. It's a dopey burger. It's like you know, the, the National Review kind of they're kind of the the last bastion of the never Trump. Trumpers, and they wrote this piece. This was a disgraceful meeting. It's a dopey meeting, you know. It was like a dopey thing. A guy, the guy called him. It was like some rock singer told their promoter, who Donald Trump Jr. knew that this woman had information coming from the crown, the crown prosecutor of Russia, which is a, a, a job that doesn't exist. There is no crown. For, there's no crown. There's no crown in Russia anymore. So like, where would be a crown prosecutor? So all like made up stuff, and you know. David, Donald Trump Jr., maybe not the brightest, uh, you know, the sharpest knife in the drawer, I don't know. He went out and went to see this thing. He was inexperienced, let's call it that. Before we get to this, though, because I just think it's... I, I, by, what I'm saying is, by mid-September, this isn't going to exist anymore. And if it does, it's just going to be because these guys cannot get out of this because they have nothing else. The Democrats have nothing else. This is the thing. This is what they've got. They don't have a plan. They don't have an idea. They don't have a program. Everything they did, Obamacare failed. All their overseas stuff that resulted in a you know, fire in the Middle East, worse relationships in the Middle East, Iran, this terrorist state rising to power, forming a new relationship with Russia. That was that forming a new relationship with Russia. That wasn't Donald Trump's fault. That was Obama's fault. All this stuff. And the only thing he could do, Obama could do, to distract people from the fact that everything he did fail was play the race card. Evil police are killing black people all over America. So now, Killings of police have gone up. That's another part of the Obama legacy, that wonderful legacy that we're all so sorry that Donald Trump is getting rid of. This is all they've got. They've got Donald Trump Jr. went to a meeting he probably shouldn't have went to, gone to where nothing happened. That's what they've got. Let me read you. I want to read you what I think is the stupidest... It's funny. I shouldn't say that. It's both the stupidest article, but it says something very smart that it doesn't know it's saying. So you can guess right away that it comes from Knucklehead Row, the New York Times op-ed page. You know what we need? We need a musical sting for like Knucklehead Row. Let's all go to Knucklehead Row. <laughs> I think like once a week we should just get the stupidest article in the New York Times op-ed. This is this article from David Brooks. Let me find out what it's called. I think it's called "We Are Destroying America." I think that's its, it's name. So it's very, it's very subtle, you know. It's like how, how we are ruining America. That's what it's called. How we are ruining America. And he talks about the fact that it's not right that rich people all live together and basically get send it, and they dedicate themselves to their kids. That's not fair because then the kids go on and they become the next generation of rich people because their parents are taking care of them while poor people are having kids out of wedlock and, you know, not paying as much attention. But then he goes on to say that they're not just elevating their own kids because he kind of begrudgingly says you can't blame them for that. The worst thing that they're doing is they're keeping people from rising up, okay? And he says, he says the most important way they do this is through residential zoning restrictions. Well-educated people tend to live in places like Portland, New York, and San Francisco. 
Now let's just stop there for a minute. What do we notice that David Brooks doesn't notice about Portland, New York, and San Francisco? These are the heart of liberal darkness. These, I mean, if you had to pick the three, maybe you throw Seattle in there too. These are the three most, you know, Portlandia, New York, and San Francisco stand. You know, these are the places where liberals go to live. So they, they tend to live in places like Portland, New York, and San Francisco that have housing and construction rules that keep the poor and less educated away from places with good schools and good job opportunities. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange that these liberals who love the poor and love the outcasts, you know, this is where you go if you want to get away from everybody else. This is the same thing, by the way, with these guys, these so-called uh, liberal geniuses in Silicon Valley who want to give everybody a guaranteed income because that way you'll be quiet and you'll go away and you won't take their billions away. You know, you won't need a job. You'll just go and take your opiates and die young and live off this thing and then go away. You know, that's that's basically the idea. They haven't got they haven't got a plan. They haven't got jobs for you. They just they give you some money and you'll go away. So he goes on and talks about this, and then he has what has got to be one of the uh, David Brooks classics. I mean, this is a classic thing. He's talking about the fact that he doesn't know he's talking about leftists. He thinks he's just talking about rich people because all the rich people he knows are leftists. But he's only, if you listen to what he says, he's only talking about leftists. This is the way leftists behave. It is not the way all rich people behave. I know plenty of rich people who are not leftists. They don't behave this way. But he says, recently, I took a friend with only a high school degree to lunch. This was, it was probably take a, a friend with only a high school degree to lunch day for David Brooks. Because first of all, I don't believe he has a friend, A, and I don't believe he has a friend who only has eyes for degree. Insensitively, he says, he says, this is a confessional, I led her into a gourmet sandwich. What was he thinking? What was he thinking? How was a, how was a woman who only had a high school degree going to man- maneuver her way through the complications of a gourmet sandwich shop? Listen to this. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Suddenly, I saw, he says David, I saw her face freeze up as she was confronted with sandwiches named Petrino and Pomodoro and ingredients like Saprasada, Capicola, and Estriata Big Baguette. I mean, these are the things, folks, you learn in college. If you only have a high school, you know, I, I, look, I went to college. I have a college degree. I learned about gourmet sandwiches. I took a, I took a three-semester class in gourmet sandwiches and how to eat a menu. I don't know what any of these things mean. Okay, Petrino, Bondo. But I am able to call over a waitress and say, what's in this? And usually on every menu on earth, there is a line underneath that tells you what's on. She says, he says, I quickly asked, asked her if she wanted to go somewhere else, and she anxiously nodded yes, this poor little person, anxiously nodded, and we ate Mexican. Wasn't that big of him? <laughs> this, is, this is who these people are. They are living, you know, when you wonder if these people are living in a bubble, they are living in a bubble. I mean, it is just absolutely amazing. So basically what he's saying is leftists have created a language, a way of life, a beautiful thing, you know, that, that's so beautiful that only they can live in it. And we're keeping out, we're keeping out, we're ruining America by keeping out the underclass, the fools, the poor, the people who can't figure out what's in a sandwich. It's, these are status rules, he calls them. I, I, I love it. And it is, it is telling about what is happening in the news, and we're going to discuss that in just a moment. But first, we have to discuss mortgages. Here, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing, mortgages, right? I've always I, This is probably the big... Most of us, this is the biggest transaction we're ever going to make, the biggest sing, single transaction, buying a house. And you get a mortgage, and they use this word mortgage, which 
only refers to this one thing, right? It only, mortgages only refer to this kind of loan, but all it is, is you're borrowing money, and borrowing money costs money. That's that simple. When you borrow money, you're paying somebody to use their, to temporarily use their money. That's what it is. So it makes a lot of sense that you want to pay them less to use their money. The less you pay them to use their money, the more money you can get, and the easier it is for you to pay back the money. That is why there is LendingTree, LendingTree.com, where you can compare all the different banks. And it's very likely that your bank will be on here, the bank you're going to go to anyway, will be on here so you can go online and compare all the prices. The average LendingTree customer can save $20,000 over the life of their loan. Now, for those of you who only have a high school education, $20,000 is a lot of money. That's a lot of Pomodoro sandwiches you can buy. That's the average. It means half their customers are saving even more than that. So whether you're looking for a new mortgage to refinance or home equity loan, LendingTree is the only place where you get up to five real offers from America's top lenders and can compare them side by side for free. And it only takes three minutes. It takes a few minutes. It's like shopping for flights online. Same thing, except you're shopping for the best mortgage. You're shopping for the best loan. Rates always go up and down, but regardless of what is happening with the rates, you can always get the right offer for you with LendingTree.com. If you're not sure you have the best deal, find out how much you can save today at LendingTree.com slash Clavin. I'll spell it in case you only have a high school education. It's K-L-A-V as in Victor A-N. And you ask the waitress what it means. It's LendingTree.com slash Clavin. I'm sorry. It's just the stupidest article I've ever read. LendingTree.com slash Clavin. LendingTree, LLC, NMLS, number 1136. Terms and conditions apply. I have to tell you that, but it's all there on the site. LendingTree.com slash Clavin. Find out how much you can save when you buy a house. Now, we are going to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. And what that means is, on Facebook and YouTube, you get the first portion of our show on video for free. I'm speaking slowly in case you've you know, been out with David Brooks and you now feel so much stupider than you were before that you can't understand what I'm saying. But if you want to continue to watch the show, if you want to continue to listen to the show, you come on over to thedailywire.com. And if you want to just watch the whole thing, subscribe. If you subscribe... Ten, it's a lousy 10 bucks a month. If you subscribe for a year, you get the Leftist Tears mug, the official Leftist Tears mug. I mean, this this is good stuff. First of all, good to drink Leftist Tears. Keeps my coffee warm. It's great stuff, and it looks terrific. Come on over to thedailywire.com and subscribe. So let's go through very quickly what's happening with this Donald Trump Jr. thing. He put out emails. We were talking about this yesterday. Basically, he got this email from this guy saying a crown prosecutor of Russia and they're colluding. You know, and the whole thing, the, to be honest with you, the whole thing, it wouldn't surprise me if the whole thing was a setup, if the whole thing was meant to look bad. Because who benefits from all this? Who benefits from all these charges and counter charges and all this stuff? It's... It's basically the Russians are, are dining out on this. Do you think that if we just forgot about this, would they be happier? No, they're happier that we're all at each other's throats about this. So Donald Trump Jr. went on, went to this meeting, nothing happened. The woman brought up some completely other subjects, this Magnitsky Act or something, and he walked out, and Jared Kushner walked out after 10 minutes, and uh, Paul, what's his name, Manafort was there and was on his phone the whole time. 
So here's Donald Trump Jr. last night on the Hannity show acknowledging that this was kind of a silly thing to do. In retrospect, I probably would have done things a little differently. Again, this is before the Russia mania. This is before they were building it up in the press. For me, this was opposition research. They had something, you know, maybe concrete evidence to all the stories I'd been hearing about, but they were probably underreported for, you know, years, not just during the campaign. So I think I wanted to hear it out. But really, it, it went nowhere, and it was apparent that that wasn't what the meeting was actually about. Okay, let me, let me ask a hypothetical. And I know hypotheticals. Maybe you've thought about it since, and since this has now become Russia collusion, yeah. Russia collusion, and et cetera. Did you ever meet with any other person from Russia that you know? You know, I don't even know. I've probably met with other people from Russia, I mean, but certainly not in, not in the context of actual a formalized meeting mm-hmm. or anything like that. Because why would I? You know, in the grand scheme of things, how busy we were, it, it was much more important to doing this. This was a courtesy to an acquaintance. Now, I want to say, so, so that, you know, he made a dopey move. He went to this meeting. He shouldn't have gone to the meeting. There's questions about whether the, the, I, I can't see any illegality here or anything like that. And remember, all of this is wrapped in this fantasy narrative that Putin and Trump were somehow colluding to destroy the electoral system. That's the fantasy narrative, that it's all wrapped in. You take that fantasy away, and it's just a bunch of different things that happened, some of which were dumb, some of which, you know. Remember, remember the Democrats, Democrat donors to Hillary Clinton paid an operative to get disinformation from Russia. Remember that whole thing about... Uh, Trump and prostitutes in the hotel, which would, then went to Comey, and Comey used that to start an investigation. And Comey himself has been leaking information that we now think was classified information. His memos are supposed to have contained classified information. So these guys are completely blowing this. Uh, the, the Democrats are completely blowing this flow of information. But let's not think that at, for one moment that the Democrats are going to overreact to this information about Donald Trump Jr. Here's their reaction. That was Chuck Schumer, I guess. But let's listen to Tim Kaine. Uh, nothing is proven yet, but it, we're, we're now beyond obstruction of justice in terms of what's being investigated. This is moving into perjury, false statements, uh, and even into potentially treason. It's treason! It's treason! He had a meeting with the It's treason! Here is Jonathan Turley, who is a lefty law professor, responding. He's, he's a left-winger. He has some libertarian... He's from George Washington University. Here he is responding to this on Fox. It's like we have this giant Rorschach test where everyone sees ink blots and sees crimes everywhere. I mean, the criminal code has defined elements to it. You just don't find these ambiguous crimes. Some people have said this could be treason. For the love of God, treason is defined in the Constitution. This is not treason. Other people have said this could be a Logan Act violation. Well, Logan Act has been used once in 200 years and is facially unconstitutional. One said, well, if you take things of tangible value under the campaign laws and treat information like that, then maybe you have a campaign contribution violation. Well, yeah, but we haven't seen that done. You could also treat it like a panda and say it's an endangered species violation. (laughs) But courts haven't done that. So I think that people need to take a breath You know, this was a meeting where someone said they had evidence of a possible crime by the opponent of the Trump campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, They met with this person. I think a lot of people in the city view that as naive. I think a lot of people say, my God, why didn't you use a surrogate, which is how it's done in Washington. But that itself is not a crime. 
Yes. <laughs> so why are they overreacting? They're overreacting because they got nothing. If they didn't have nothing, they would go forward, proceed in a you know judicious, stately way to gather evidence. But they know the story, the surrounding narrative that is making that is giving the story a sense of importance. The surrounding narrative is garbage. So the surrounding narrative doesn't exist. The whole Trump, you know, and Boris Badenoff and Natasha spy story is all nonsense. So they have to so they, they gin up this hysteria. Now, l let me show you how they do this. Before I do, though, I just want to play Ted Cruz because Ted Cruz made the essential point that Trump's substantial, the Trump administration's substantial policy orientation toward Russia has not been pleasant for Vladimir Putin. So everything else they're talking about, any stupid remarks Trump made, and he made a few stupid remarks about Russia and, and Putin being a strong leader and all this stuff, any stupid remarks he made have nothing to do with the actual policies of the administration. So here's Ted Cruz explaining that. If you look at what happened with Russia, Russia invades Ukraine. And the Obama administration does nothing, is utterly ineffectual. You have John Kerry saying he desperately wants to provide Putin with an off-ramp. President you Trump is trying to water down a sanctions bill that you Putin voted for. didn't want an off-ramp. And the policies of the Obama administration were constant weakness and appeasement. You know, one of the best things recently announced was the Trump administration's intention to go forward with placing anti-ballistic anti missile batteries in Poland and the Czech Republic, you know, those were scheduled to go in 10 years ago. And in 2009, in the opening weeks of the Obama administration, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton canceled the anti-ballistic missile batteries in Poland and the Czech Republic. Why? Because they wanted to appease Putin. They wanted to appease Russia, and Russia didn't want those batteries to go in. I'm glad that the Trump administration is returning to a common-sense defense of our allies against our adversaries. And substance matters. Policy matters. <laughs> you wouldn't know it by listening to the press who were reporting. I think they reported something like 52% of the evening news was about this meeting that Donald Trump Jr. had. 50, I think I've got that right. Maybe it's 56%, maybe it's even more. It was some enormous number. Um, 52, 56, well, I can't find it right now, but it was it was over 50%. 54%, sorry, right between the two. 54% of the evening coverage was about this. I mean, that is an amazing, amazing stat. I want... Before I get to the mailbag, which I really have to get to quickly or we won't have any time, but before I get to it, just, I just want you to play one cut of Stephen Colbert and watch how he is training his audience and what to think. Now remember, this is the Tonight Show, right? No, this is the uh, former Letterman Show. What is this yeah. show called? So this is on CBS. This is supposed to be an entertainment show. This is where you tune in at the end of the day, you've had a long day, you've done a day of work, you wanted somebody to make you laugh. Here is Stephen Colbert teaching his audience how to react to this. There is no evidence of collusion or even the desire to collude with the Russians by anyone in the Trump campaign it is something that was true 48 hours ago. <laughs> because now, yeah. Right? We learned yesterday that on June 9th of last year, Donald Trump Jr. met with a Russian lawyer after being promised damaging information on Hillary Clinton. Wow. 
You, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, you took the ooh right out of my mouth. You, I mean, you could knock me over with whatever you use to knock over someone who isn't the least bit surprised. <laughs> Everything with this family that you think is turns out to be. The meeting took place at Trump Tower and included Jared Kushner and then Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort and proves that at least some in the campaign were willing to accept Russian help. So it's not a smoking gun, but it is a gun <laughs> meeting with a Russian bullet about their mutual desire to smoke. From Ricardo, how would you describe atheism? Is it an ideology or just a lack of a belief in God? That's a good question. Uh, you know, if atheism, when atheism is an ideology, uh, you get something that looks like the Marquis de Sade, the guy who believed we should kill, we should be allowed to murder each other, torture each other if it gave us pleasure. That's where we get the word sadism. The problem with most atheists is they really have not thought out the ramifications of their beliefs. They really have not. Uh, if you know, if you read, they they have this propaganda thing. This is the way the left operates, but it is not necessarily the left. There is this propaganda that basically, if you're a sophisticated, scientifically minded person, you do not believe in God anymore. That's you know, that's an old thing. That is pure propaganda. That is not logical. That does not follow. I haven't got time to follow the logic all the way down. The true logic, true logic, the reason that science was invented in the West, the reason every single person who invented what we now think of as science was a Christian is because it was the Christian philosophy and the Christian worldview, which was based on Aristotle, who you can see, I don't know if the camera takes it in, he's now on our, uh, on our mantelpiece here of the fireplace is Aristotle. It, uh, it, it is linked from Aristotle to Aquinas, this Christian idea that really led to science. And when you get rid of God, you really cannot believe in morality. And when you can't believe in morality, then the Marquis de Sade is right. That's why I call him the only atheist that I ever trusted. I believe that his philosophy makes sense if you want to kill your neighbor for your pleasure. So basically what I'm saying is most people don't believe in God because they are lost in the fog of modern thought. They have not thought it through for themselves. But there are people, like the Marquis de Sade, who have lifted atheism to the level of a philosophy, and uh, those are people who are out of their minds because the Marquis de Sade was a crazy, murdering uh, nutbag. That's what atheism will do to um, Dear Supreme Leader KLVN, I like it, leaves out the nouns, very funny. I recently saw an article from CNN that said drinking coffee will help you live longer. I drink a lot of coffee, close to two pots a day. The guy's going to live forever until he dies tomorrow. Given how inaccurate CNN is, should I be worried about dropping dead at any moment? Don't get me wrong, it's not death that scares me, it's dying before I find out what the new podcast will be on the Daily Wire, respectively. Dan, another Dan. Uh, yeah, you know, all I can tell you is every piece of nutritional advice that was given to me as a child has now been proved untrue. And I want all those eggs back that I didn't eat. I want every single, I love eggs, and I cut down on eggs because they told you that they gave you high cholesterol. Now they tell you you can't eat cholesterol, you've just inherited. Uh, all I can tell you is for me, a couple of coffee, cups of coffee a day does it. But, uh, any, you know, anything in excess is going to be bad for you. That's my... That's my actual thing. Eat enough carrots and they're going to make you sick. Um, can I do one more? Yeah. Sure. Um, here's a good one. Supreme Lord Clavin, do you believe... I like the fact that these guys use my real titles. You know, you guys never... You, 
Did you have to pee? I used it once. Yeah, okay, came once. <laughs> and of course, you were in your cups at lunch. Um, Supreme Lord Clavin, do you believe hell is real? I am a devout follower of Christ, but I have a difficult time grasping the concept of hell. Um, you know, I try very hard not to think too much about the details of the afterlife because this life completely absorbs me and it's hard enough to live well without wondering about things you do not know. I have read a lot about this subject. Uh, having said that, I've read a lot about this subject because I've always wondered if it's possible when Jesus said you will be cast into the fire, he meant that you would be destroyed. In other words, that there is a, a holy part of you, an eternal part of you, that if you nurture, you will, will continue on into the next world, but if you let it die, there'll be nothing left. That there is a word for that. It's called... I can't remember what it's called, but it's called something like destructionism, something like that, you know, that you get destroyed unless you're saved. Um, other people say, no, the point about hell, though, is it is not somewhere that you are sent, it is, some, uh, it is a way that you live. And when you, look at, uh, and the, when you look at the way people live, you can see people living in hell, you can see them living in hell now. And if you believe that life continues, there's nothing to... Um, there's nothing to say they won't continue to live like that all into eternity. There are some people who say that because God's love and forgiveness is unfathomable and never-ending, that you can still get out of hell afterwards. These are all questions I don't know the answer to. My trust is in God. Truly, my trust is in God. I believe that, I, you know, I'm, it's, it's not that I do my best to be a good person. I do my best to follow God. You know, that, that is the thing, to know God, follow God. I trust them. I don't believe that life is like a game show where if you get the question wrong, you know, the trap door opens up underneath you and you're dropped into damnation. I don't believe this is all a big joke. I believe that things that our reason was given to us for a purpose, that our reason can distinguish what it is to live according to God's will. That's what I believe. So I think do that, and uh, I don't believe you'll end up in hell. How's that, how's that for an answer? <laughs> follow, follow God. Use your reason and your love and your Bible to follow God, and I'm pretty sure you won't end up in hell, and if you do, the Daily Wire will send you your money back, uh, though it's not going to do any good. All right, stuff I like. All week long, I've been talking about the movies that I saw, Baby Driver and The Ghost Story, at the movies that were in a genre but did not fulfill the requirements of the genre, and this is one of my big beefs, okay? If you want to do something special, new, big with the genre, first, I believe, in order to make a great movie and write a great book, you have to fulfill the requirements of the genre. So if you're going to write a ghost story, it is not enough to be profound. And a ghost story is a really interesting movie and a, a movie that makes you think. But it's not scary. It's not spooky. It doesn't have to be a shocker. But it has no... It has no genre effect at all, and I really resented that. Same thing with Baby Driver. It's so stylish, it looks so beautiful, but the plot makes no sense, the crimes make no sense, and ultimately the morality of it doesn't make any sense, so that you lose that thrill that you get from a good heist movie, a good chase movie. Here's a movie that shows you how it's done, and this is Blade Runner, based on Philip K. Dick. You know, this is one of the best things I saw, was a uh, trailer, possible it stinks, but it looked really good, I have to say. Uh, but the thing about this is Blade Runner is... And, and you got to get the one with the voiceover because Ridley Scott, who directed it, put out a director's cut, and like all director's cuts, it's worse than the original film. The film with the voiceover was so cool because it was a takeoff in the old Bogart Private Eye movies, except except that instead of... Well, here's, here's an exchange from an old from the big sleep with Bogart and Bacall. Bogart's the, de the detective, the tough guy detective, and here's Bacall. You're a private detective. I didn't know they existed except in books, or else they were greasy little men snooping around hotel corridors. Ah, oh, you're a mess, aren't you? 
I'm not very tall, either. Next time I'll come on stilts, wear a white tie, and carry a tennis racket. I doubt if even that would help. Now, this business of Dad's, think you can handle it for him? It shouldn't be too tough. Really? I would have thought a case like that took a little effort. Not too much. What will your first step be? The usual one. I didn't know there was a usual oh, one. Oh, sure there is. It comes complete with diagrams on page 47 of how to be a detective in 10 easy lessons, correspondence school textbook, and uh, your father offered me a drink. You must have read another one on how to be a comedian. You hear what I said about the drink? I'm quite serious, Mr. Marlowe. My father's trying your to father. help yourself. So that, that is the tone of great old-fashioned, uh, tough-talking private detective movies. Blade Runner brings that tone into a story about a guy hunting replicants, people who think that they're people, but in fact are replicants. They're, they're robots, essentially. And he is having this exchange with uh, Sean Young, I think, plays her. And here's the, the same tone of voice, the same noir detective story, up into a new level with, a, with new ideas. You think I'm a replicant, don't you? Look. It's me with my mother. Yeah? Remember when you were six? You and your brother snuck into an empty building through a basement window. You were going to play doctor. He showed you his. And when it got to be your turn, you chickened and ran. Remember that? You ever tell anybody that? Your mother, Tyrell, anybody? Huh? You remember the spider that lived in a bush outside your window? Orange body, green legs. Watched her build a web all summer. Then one day there's a big egg in it. The egg hatched. The egg hatched? Yeah. And a hundred baby spiders came out. And they ate her. The implants. Those aren't your memories. There's somebody else. <laughs> so, so here's, here's my point. Baby Driver is fashionable and uh, stylish, but it's not a good heist movie. Blade Runner is fashionable and stylish, but it is a good noir detective story. The ghost story is uh, interesting and has deep thoughts in it, but it is not a scary ghost story. Blade Runner has, is interesting and has deep thoughts in it, but it really is a good thriller. It's a really good science fiction thriller. That's how it's done. That's the kind of stuff I like. All right, that's Mailbag Day. Tomorrow we have the great Roger Kimball on the last defender of high Western culture. Uh, just been fighting the good fight for many years. A really entertaining guy. Be there. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show.